0: Welcome to Code Whack, your podcast on America's broken healthcare system and how Medicare for all could help. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. How did Hugo Morales, co-founder and executive director of Radio Bilingue, become such an impassioned champion for farm workers' rights in California's Central Valley and beyond? What life experiences shaped him into the influencer that he is today? We recently had the honor of asking him ourselves. Welcome to Code Whack, Hugo.
1: Glad to be with you.
0: Tell us about your early life experiences and how they inspired your work to empower the Latinx and indigenous communities.
1: I'm an indigenous person, grew up in indigenous territory, La Mixteca. There's two million of us indigenous Mixtecos. Our community uh, covers three states of Mexico, half of the state of Oaxaca, and then the southern part of the state of Puebla and the southern part of Guerrero our territory was cut in three. Uh, probably in California, we're probably talking about over 160,000 or so. So I grew up very poor, like uh, most of the Mishtekos in the homeland. So I never met my father till I was nine, because he was here undocumented. He left our village with the hope and idea to come to the U.S., but obviously it's not easy to cross the border. So he went to visit a, a cousin in Mexicali as a way to see how he could cross the border. I think he spent at least a year there working in the fields of some which today is part of the winter harvest. That's how a lot of us here in California get our tomatoes and other vegetables. It's in Baja California, Norte. So he spent there some time. And then he also spent some time in Mexicali, which is the capital of Baja. And he became a mariachi. He played the violin and the guitar. And from there, he was able to get a local passport. And that's how he was able to cross.
0: Wow. So tell me more about your life growing up in Mexico.
1: So, I grew up in poverty in Mexico with a single mom, and I have an older brother and a younger sister. I experienced and saw a lot of hunger among the children, a lot of alcoholism. And a lot of the typical incidents of high poverty in a community. But there's incredible love from my mother, (laughs) like a lot of moms. That was very, very helpful. I was able to go to school, start at the age of three, which is very unusual. Most of the Mishitekos in my generation didn't have access to any schooling. But I was lucky enough that in my village, there was a private school. They only had like, I don't know, some 30 students in a one uh, dopey house. I was the only preschooler there. Everybody else was uh, five years and older. I have an older brother, so... He had exhausted the three years of the school program there in that village, so we moved to a town called Huapan de Leon. So there I was able to actually thrive academically uh, because I had already gone to preschool, and as opposed to everybody else. When my dad in 1957 legalized, that time a letter from your employer was enough for you to be considered for legalization, and that's what he got from his grower boss there in Healdsburg, California, Sonoma County. And so he was able to bring the whole family next year in 1958.
0: Interesting. So what was life like for you as a boy in the U.S.?
1: We settled in in, in a farm labor camp with my father. And so we grew up with no health insurance, (laughs) no no minimum wage, no sanitation regulations or enforcement, no inspection of the sanitary facilities there. At the same time, during the summer, you know, it was prune season. It was a hundred acre prune farm. That's when the migrants would come and help pick the uh, crops in in Healdsburg and Sonoma County for prunes. But I got to see, you know, uh, literally the hundreds of cars of migrants come through and, you know, with no job, literally with cars full of children. And the children, of course, would work. So I got to see the poverty and the incidence of poverty. Got to see how parents are deprived of of having a decent salary so they can't, uh, you know, for kids health insurance or, or properly take care of the, the children or properly provide nutritious food and lack of information about nutrition and, and, and the rights and so on. So I ended up actually at a tuberculosis hospital from that experience. Tuberculosis follows poverty and all that. I mean, so I ended up you know locked up for a year in isolation when I was 12 years old. So I have a history in terms of access to, to health care. And of course, I had a contagious disease. I was pulled out of, out of school. I was a seventh grader out of Hillsburg Junior High and put in isolation.
0: So what do you remember about being in isolation?
1: So I got a lot of uh, time to reflect. In our culture, traditional indigenous culture, we are discouraged and actually told not to question the elders or adult. So I I was a very quiet boy, in part because of the culture. But after spending a year (laughs) and reading a lot about what was in the outside, because I didn't realize that I lived in a very, very isolated farm worker culture and indeed poverty. I I didn't realize the context of that. I know that I was not invited to the parties of the rest of the class. I was only Mexican. So I never had a social life with the rest of my, my classmates in elementary school. But I mean, we ourselves thought ourselves being different because they thought we were different, right? So you you know, and I knew that, that uh, you know, I was poor and all this, and I was Mexican, and I kind of saw it as kind of a, a logical source, accepting that, that difference. Uh, but I did not see the whole context of stuff until I was at the tuberculosis hospital and began to read <laughs> about what was happening on the outside. I realized that the the world that my parents lived in was very, very different uh, than the mainstream, and that the being mainstream really didn't have a sense of what was going on among farm workers. And the way that mainstream, including the growers and their kids, the way they approached us was as if we were aliens somehow, that we're not really part of their community. Mm. and it seemed like they were not really interested in, in getting to know us so when I came out of that <laughs> sanitarium a year later I was out to speak uh-huh. and I, I, I welcomed the opportunity to speak uh, to my peers to my teachers to anybody that wanted to listen and see the poverty there in Sonoma County and it was not something that was happening you know miles away or hundreds of miles away but rather right there so mm-hmm. That's where my passion comes from for advocating for farm workers because the mainstream, at least up to then, really didn't have a sense about well, what poverty was like.
0: Interesting. So tell us about your college experience.
1: I ended up at Harvard College. When I got to Harvard College, I realized that even the faculty didn't know what it was like to be poor. And I was the only farm worker in my class and the only Mexican-American. And it was like, wow. It was quite a an experience to know that at least at that time, there was little or no research done about poverty in the United States. Within months, I realized that I had a very unique experience in in the sense that I was experiencing deep poverty and was part of that culture. And of course, we could spend a lot of time talking about how elite Harvard is and other Ivy Leagues or whatever. But what I thought would be valuable for me would actually to continue that experience of being poor and and working in the fields as long as possible. So that later on, I knew I would have to leave the fields at some point. I would be able to advocate for that community. And I felt that as long as I could be part of my family and my extended friends, the longer the better. So that's what I did. And I invited Harvard College students to come and I had lunch with a lot of my classmates. They wanted to talk to me because they wanted to know more and try to help farm workers. And they had never spoken to a poor person before or or a Mexican or a person of color. So I would invite them say, hey, why don't you come and and come and join us in the farm fields? so you get a real sense of what it's like. So a couple of people did. It was just great to see middle-class white boys They <laughs> got there and live in the farm labor camp there in, in Healdsburg in, in a tent like everybody else and get paid like everybody else, uh, one twenty five an hour, and experience the situation. No, no, again, no, no health care living in situations that are particularly sanitary and see and work among a class of workers that are exploited and be part of that. That's uh, something that I became very, very interested in as I went to Harvard College and Harvard Law.
0: And why is that?
1: I was trying to figure out how I could be an advocate, uh, how I could be an interpreter. How I could help farm workers, my fellow farm workers, identify with being a farm worker. Because I continued to work in the fields until I graduated from Harvard Law. So it was important for me to get a sense of that uh, culture and uh, reality trying to translate to the mainstream. I had to learn about the mainstream. And that's what I thought that was really important for me to go to Harvard College, but also Harvard Law, to figure out how, how the system worked. And so what I did actually at Harvard Law, I actually got, uh, I had a curriculum that's very much uh, catered to Wall Street. I actually learned about, you know, corporations, <laughs> I learned about, you know, commercial paper, but I also learned about injunctions, <laughs> you know, labor law. I took accounting, just wanting to know how the business worked with the idea that, that I wanted to build this radio service. That somehow through that information, we would be able to, through an exchange of ideas, the farm workers, uh, we farm workers would lift ourselves because I identified as a farm worker. So that, that's so that's how why I become such a, and continue to be such a passionate uh, advocate for farm workers because uh, I, I was a farm worker.
0: Thank you, Ugo. Find more Code Whack episodes on ProgressiveVoices.com and on the PV app. You can also subscribe to Code WAC wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, uplifting the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. I'm Brenda Gazar.